Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. This podcast celebrates storytelling as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, showcasing the talents of my author and narrator friends. I hope you'll hear an artist you love or find your next favorite wordsmith. You're listening to episode 43. Do you want to talk about about that story, about the inspiration for that story? The first thing about that story that came to me was the title. Oh. And and I was like, what a great title. And of course, if something like that pops in your head, you have to follow it with the story. There are many stories to follow when you spend time with River Jordan. And yes, River Jordan is her real name. She chose it, made it official on her birth certificate. But that's another story. Today, we are talking about her collection of short stories, 13 Southern tales gathered in a book she called Sugar Baby and Other Stories. I just asked her about the story with the unusual title, The Inglorious Hanging of Molly Brown. It's about a woman at the end of her rope. You know, it's not that the clouds open up and some volume of divine comes and tells her life is worth living. It's these little, she has these little interactions with other humans that save her life. And a potential love interest. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I always yes. like maybe it ends with something you know, hopeful. Yes, yes, yes. It really does, and it's funny. It is, it is a funny story. Yeah, you just laugh, you know. And then her interaction with the older man in the store—it's so touching. And I have experience with those encounters with strangers because I did a thing called praying for strangers for actually mm-hmm. three years and. The book Praying for Strangers is about my interactions with them. And so since that certainly changed my life and all those interactions and stories, I can see how that bleeds into my writing at this point in a positive way. Yes, there are interactions throughout the book in each one of these short stories that, that change the course of events. Something holy, something divine is in the people all around us and that we're just sort of walking around, fumbling through and sometimes not seeing that. But you have in these little vignettes of life, in these little fictions, have found a lot of different ways to convey that, I think. I love your observations. As a writer from the other side of the page, it is just these characters coming to life and me following them and writing down mm-hmm. what they're saying and doing. So I, it's not like there's any intention in my writing. I don't mm-hmm. set out to write a story that reflects hope or courage or loss or really oh, ever. There's never an intention of what the end result is about. How um, do you think that happens then? The divine muse, the evidence of things unseen, 
finding the divine in contemporary literature. Yeah, I never set out with an intention. So the closest story in the book where there was a type of intention is the Mm -hmm. one that is set in New Mexico during the Spanish flu with the priest. Mm -hmm. Also one of my favorite stories. But the the inspiration for that was a little bit different in that it was during COVID, the onset of the outbreak as we were following the news. And then I was looking at all the people in Italy and somehow I either heard or read an interview with a priest who was so brokenhearted because he was not able to even give last rites to these people and anoint the body and they had coffins just stacked up across the church and the churchyard and of course his conviction of of who he was as a holy man and it being his responsibility and what he felt called to do and he was not able to do his job because it was overwhelming and from that the idea about the spanish flu and a priest and it's the most historical piece of fiction I've ever written because uh-huh. actually when the Spanish flu hit at that San Aldefonso, when the Spanish flu hit, it was so bad. They kept asking for priests to come from Santa Fe or from somewhere else. And no one would come because word was out that they were all dying so quickly yeah. and people were afraid to come. So I gave them the priest they never had that they asked for historically, you know. It's a very timely story, obviously, like you said, it was inspired some by what you were hearing about COVID. What, what I wrote down about it is there's, you have a, a very holy man who in, is calling for God. You've used the bells as a, as a symbol, as a metaphor for his Uh, for his absolute, you know, where is God? Where is God in this, all this death, all this suffering? The bells are this metaphor. He rings the bells, he rings the bells until his hands are bloodied. But he also says to someone else who is serving with him, who's bringing the wine to him, he says to him, this too is the work of God. We each play a part that he gives to us. So there's an acceptance to what's happening, but there's also this you know, he, it's a very human thing to be questioning and to also be accepting and to, to know that things are unfolding as they should. Right. But I felt like you gave him a lot of humanity in that, in the ringing of the bells and the ringing of the bells and desperation. um, Yes. Yeah. Can I, can I read the first paragraph to you? I would love that. I'd love to reflect on that for a moment. Okay. He was a man of God, and yet he was afraid. Padre Benito rang the bells of the chapel of San Ildefonso as if the devil himself walked among them with intent to kill them all and without a miracle would succeed. The Padre let go of the rope and examined his palms, expecting to see the skin blackened and burn away. The rest of his health was with him and he remained untouched by the sickness that had come upon them so quickly. So I love the first line that he was a man of God, yet he was afraid. And 
I think it speaks to all of us who have faith and who believe, yet we have moments where we tremble or we fear for a loved one who's sick. And I also love in the story that he gets ministered to by the Native American chief mm-hmm. and and comforted by his words of look at the stars. This is yes. where people go. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm so glad you brought up stars because I think you have done that in several stories. You bring the universe and the expansive sky to several of your characters as a, as a source of comfort, I think. Why did you do that? It's not intentional, but as a writer, when you're pouring things out on the page and, and everyone misquotes, you know, they say Hemingway said, writing's easy you just sit down and open a vein but I don't think it was Hemingway that actually said that Hmm. but when you do that you're pouring into your work the essence of who you are and the way you see the world or the way you wish the world would be Hmm. Um, for instance in uh, the seven sisters of trouble road there is I don't know if it's justice or vengeance. I think it's more justice is served, but in a way that we can't do in real life when we feel like our loved ones have been truly, truly radically injured and we can't go get the retribution that we want. So yes. we yeah, we can do that in stories. But back to the stars, I am so in love with planets and the universe and looking up at the stars or seeing a shooting star. And I know it's just cosmic dirt, you know, traveling through the sky, but it still is like wish upon a star. There's something wondrous about it. Yeah. And because of my interest in that and theoretical physics and other things like that, you know, trying to comprehend theoretical physics is my hobby. So I read a lot of books about time and the essence of time and, Hmm. and about the universe and stars and things. So I can see why Yeah, I didn't even think about how many stories probably have stars in them in one way or another. Yeah. Well, I think, I'm glad that you brought up the seven sisters of Trouble Road, because that character, Davina, you know, she, she has a church of her own making. That's what you call it. She goes out into the forest and she has a church of her own making. And when I was growing up, that's something we would say when we went camping, that we were in the church with no roof, which is, you know, then this, the stars are part of that, you know, that you, that you feel small in the universe unfolding as it should is is reflected in that in the character that you were just saying seeks out retribution or or gives us sort of a sense of justice in the end mm-hmm. um she has a strength about her she gets that by being in her in a church of her own making that strength i think i love that story it mm-hmm. reads like a fairy tale and so there are two stories in the in the collection that have a kind of sing song quality to the rhythm of the story and priceless the little ghost story is one of those and also the seven sisters of trouble road and um 
Well, I really enjoyed Priceless too. You just brought up Priceless. That is, you have a meeting really between the living and the dead. You sort of lift this veil between someone who's past and someone who's here. And I won't give much away about the story, but I think what I liked about it was, or what has stuck with me is this idea of advice and guidance from someone who's gone before, who's gone was not here to really literally talk to us about it. The person who's passed is, is giving him relationship advice. And really he's just, I think he's thinking in his heart about the relationship that she had and wanting that for himself. And, but you've sort of, you have kind of sort of created a fairy tale about it. It feels parable or metaphor. I can feel this sense of him seeking out something that is priceless in love and in relationship. And I like uh- that. I love that story too. I mean, it's like every time I get Mandy and you know, Mandy Haynes, who was reading these stories and I would always say, which one is your favorite? And then it generally was the one she had just finished reading, no matter what it was. (laughs) Oh, it's the Inglory's Hanging of Good Molly Brown. That's great. And then A Muddy Grace was one of her favorites as well. Yeah, I wrote down in Muddy Grace, you have a motherless child and a childless mother who complete each other, who, yes. who become the connection to the divine for each other. And again, that's that idea that it's the people that we cross paths with who transform us, who complete us, who put us on our path, that God's in the people. I did really enjoy that one. There's something really sad. You play around with tragedy. You are really talking about things that don't go the way we expect them to. And sometimes in a really devastating way yeah um, I, th- I think there are two stories in the book that truly contain a tragedy and mm. that's one of them yes so that's one of the other themes to me I think there's something very hopeful but you also there's a there's a story called civil war and there's a sense of the inevitability of death, the inevitability of tragedy. To me, I, I think, you know, you just said there's there's only real tragedy in a couple of stories, but I think you have death or conversations about death in every story. I do in this collection, not in every book I write, but this yeah. one, if there was a theme, man, what a dark theme to have. But um, yeah, and even in the opening story, because it's about a sister Ruth, but her twin sister Truth died when she was 15. So um, which really will be developed into a full length novel. There are a couple stories that, you know, ask to be developed. Yeah. Um, And I also love, I love the relationship between the characters. I love the relationship of Ruth with her mother. Mm -hmm. I love the relationship of the young man in priceless looking for treasure. He's, he's, he's grave robbing is what he does, you know, and I, yes. I, I don't want to give it away, but he's trying to grave rob his aunt's grave and his aunt shows up and their relationship is so sweet. And he realizes he came to steal something, but he's just enjoying her being there and talking to her after he gets over the shock and the fear. Right. Right. So yeah, the and treasure, I, what's priceless is the relationship. Yeah. And I 
um, had great relationships with my aunts and one aunt in particular that was like a second mother. So again, all that bleeds in. And a muddy grace is actually going to be uh, developed into a full-length novel this year. And so that's, I'm announcing it here. A publisher has already asked me to please write that full novel that they will publish. Very exciting. That's great. It just shows that there's so much depth in the characters and place Mm -hmm. and that sense of the dirt we come from, I think is also very important to my stories is that sense of place. So the podcast is the title for it and the inspiration for it grew out of a poem called Desiderata. The word Desiderata means things that are desired as essential. I like to ask authors what for them is essential. Okay. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is truth Hmm. is essential. And I feel like we, little by little, as we get older, we begin to put on a sort of mask when we go out into the world in the way that people say, how are you? And we say, I'm fine. When really all hell's breaking loose at home and you're not fine. But I really to me, spiritual truth is essential. And then friendship and relationship with other people and relationship with strangers. Going into the world and being brave enough to be your true self and being brave enough to see other people truly as they are, love them unconditionally and be able to connect with strangers in the grocery store line by just making eye contact and saying, how are you? How, how are you doing? You hanging in there? Because I assure you, everyone is just hanging in there. I mean, sure, we have good days where we're like, oh, walking on water, you know. Um, <laughs> but if from, from my experience and talking to so many strangers, they were always concerned about something. And usually it was other people they loved. Mm-hmm. So if that answers your question, you it know, does. what's essential to me is, it does. Is, is living a truthful life, you know, an authentic life. Yeah. So I just think your answer, it's so revealing about who you are and who you are as an author, this idea of receiving story, being open to the truth of others, right? Being open to the people that are crossing paths with you. And not walking around with your mask and your blinders, oblivious to that. That's very powerful. Thank you. Can I tell you a short story about praying for strangers? Yes, please. Um, so I say a short story, but because we've talked so much about character and strangers and conversation, I want to share this with you that Uh, Both my sons were being deployed to different war zones at the beginning of 2009. Mm -hmm. My only children, my two sons. And so I arranged for family from Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina to all come together to spend a 
few days with the boys, as we call them, they're grown men, but they've always been known as the boys, right? As I was packing for that, this idea dropped down in my spirit, New Year's resolution, say a prayer for a stranger every day. So I'm praying for just whatever stranger, you know, kind of stands out to me that day. Somehow somebody would always stand out to me. There was this lady in the bus station who stood out to me as my stranger who was just buying a ticket, just a lovely woman buying a ticket. And I felt like so strongly impressed that I had to go up to her and tell her she was my stranger for the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? I'm an introvert. Anyway, I'm Episcopalian. We don't witness to people out loud. You know, uh, we <laughs> frisk people for to see if they have their library cards, but we don't, you know, talk about <laughs> faith or anything. Right. So I, I'm trying to sort of crab my way sideways up to her. And I said, ma'am, do you mind if I ask your name? And she told me, and I said, okay, look, I just started doing this thing, this resolution thing where I pray for a stranger every day. And I just thought you should know that you're my stranger today. And I just want you to know, and that's it. And I'm already backing away. And she goes, honey, do you know, I was just praying for other people this morning and I stopped and asked God, is there anybody in the whole world praying for me? And I look at her and she looks at me and I said, well, it looks like I am, ma'am. I gave her a hug and said, have a great trip back to Kentucky. And she's like, oh, honey, I will now. I will now. (laughs) And I thought that was one of the greatest divine setups that I've ever seen or heard of. And so I went on to realize maybe strangers need to know somebody's praying for them. Mm -hmm. And that's how I spent years walking up to strangers going do you mind if I ask your name and then just as quickly as I could going so I do this thing I pray for a stranger every day and today and they always would reach out to me go funny you should choose me because and they would begin to tell me their story and I would have to slow down my to-do list and what I was doing and listen to their story and So it was a beautiful uh, eye-opening experience, seeing humanity in a different light, seeing strangers in a different light. Because even in an election year, I, I never knew if people voted like I did or believed like I did or what yard sign they had. And it didn't matter. I didn't know what they drove or what zip code they lived in. And it didn't matter, you know, uh, There was just that moment of connection. Yes, that's fantastic. It's a different way of saying everyone has a story. Mm. But I think your approach, like going in for the story from a place of, I'm thinking something positive for you today. Absolutely. For you, that that opens a different kind of door. To me, what's more important, maybe about, everyone having a story is the fact that whether we realize it or not, all our stories are connected. We are crucial to each other. Like 
the inglorious hanging of good Molly Brown. Exactly yes. that. The strangers in her life were so important. They connect and heal her, you know, yeah. in the process, both emotionally and physically, yes. which I just realized saying that out loud. Oh, those were both healers in her life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's, um, there's so much of that running through your storytelling. That's a good place to close this episode with River Jordan. I hope you enjoyed her reading and storytelling. You can hear more from her on the Clear Story radio show, which she has hosted in Nashville for over 15 years. Please visit her website to find the collection of Southern Tales, Sugar Baby, and Other Stories, which the Pulpwood Queen Book Club named February's bonus book selection. You can also find River's other award-winning work, including the books Praying for Strangers and The Ancient Way and Confessions of a Christian Mystic. I'll put all her links in the show notes. Thank you to author Mandy Haynes for being my connection to River. And as always, thank you for listening. This has been... Season 2, Episode 43. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, bye.